Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Insight Corporation, and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Here's the Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. This series focuses on all things caregiving. We will hear from the experts and the experienced, and trust me, their know-how will offer caregivers and families at every stage of the journey best practices, tips, and most importantly, an abundance of hope. Caregivers will feel their support and compassion. Grab a few minutes for you and listen in. You will be glad you did. Today's episode will feature Sung Choi, a pediatric bone marrow transplant physician at Michigan Medicine. Dr. Choi is here today to share her wisdom and compassion as a physician and parent who really understands the many needs of young patients. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Choi. Thank you, Peggy. I would also like to thank the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link for the opportunity to speak today. It's great to be with you and to talk about such an important topic. I'm pleased to share what I've learned through the years, and certainly with the recent COVID-19 pandemic, I believe that many of us are learning to adapt and adjust to truly extenuating caregiving experiences on so many levels. Absolutely. So Dr. Choi, can you describe what the special caregiving needs are of young patients in particular? Great topic. So there was a recent report that I often like to refer to myself called Cancer Caregiving in the United States. It was published by the National Alliance for Caregiving in partnership with the National Cancer Institute and Cancer Support Community. It was intended mostly for family caregivers of adult patients, but its description of cancer caregiving in the United States described as an intense, episodic, and challenging care experience was so spot on and very applicable to family caregivers of pediatric patients, including young children, adolescents, and young adults. But the pediatric setting is particularly unique in that you have parents who may have more than the child undergoing transplant, but also other children in the household. They may have full-time jobs or careers and potentially have their own parents who are getting older and may need their help. Often what we refer to as this sandwich generation, parents who are caregiving for their own children, but also caring for their aging parents. And as a parent myself, I would say that being a parent is one of life's greatest gifts or joys. You have all of these wishes, dreams, and celebrations, but it also brings tremendous responsibilities. You have experience where there's the highest joys in life and also painful moments in life. And then a cancer diagnosis or life-threatening blood disease occurs. And then a transplant just compounds these experiences. This was not the plan. A loving parent or or family caregiver who has not been previously trained in this is suddenly thrust into a new way of life, learning to carefully navigate and balance a difficult diagnosis and treatment plan with strength, resiliency, support, love during prime formidable years of growth and development is really challenging. 
And so as a family caregiver, this truly requires patience, caring, and compassion for yourself. So I like to suggest that you provide your child with choices, within reason, of course. For example, medications have to be taken. You can't let that slide. But then it may be totally okay that they have chicken nuggets or mac and cheese or ice cream for dinner or dessert. And also, it's important to try keeping up with routines like brushing teeth, reading before bed, or picking up toys. So you can imagine that with children, depending on their age, there can be a wide spectrum of developmental as well as neurocognitive phases that they are in. So as part of the healthcare team, it is so important that we continually recognize and respect where these kids or teenagers or young adults are in their developmental journey, as well as transplant journey. For example, what works for a two-year-old may be very different from an eight-year-old or a teenager. And also parents or family caregivers are constantly weighing and balancing the impact of therapy on the child's nutrition, growth, development. And though the immediate survival reaction goal is to cure the patient, whatever it takes, it remains important to be informed of and to understand what the long-term side effects of therapy may be. And so these are obviously very different in the pediatric versus adult settings. Now, despite all of these challenges, remember how important it is. This is what I like to share with parents and caregivers, to have that daily quality parent or teenager child time that is not illness related, just you know, being together, playing together, reading, talking. This is a form of making memories every day, and it keeps nourishing that parent-child relationship and keeps reducing or helps reducing the likelihood of resistance or conflict because kids, they will want to preserve this positive bonds. Kids take cues from their parents as to how to react. And parents, we try to instruct them how best to remain calm and just taking that one step at a time. I love this analogy that caregivers should put their own oxygen masks on first in order to be effective at caregiving. So ask some other friends or family members to share some child time while the parent takes a time out for themselves, goes for a walk, talks with a friend, or in order to return to caregiving refreshed for today and and tomorrow, do it again. Wow, so many great tips here. And I just think this is going to help so many people better understand. I really appreciated the part about making memories. Uh, It's so important that everything is just not focused on the illness. Thank you so much for that. Switching gears for a second, Dr. Choi, how do you feel social media may impact young kids or adolescents during their treatment? Oh boy, Peggy, this is a difficult one for me to answer as I myself struggle with the same issues in our household with three young children at totally different and various developmental stages and ages. Uh, Social media and technology are definitely double-edged swords. We love it and we hate it. For example, (laughs) 
During this unprecedented COVID-19 that has appended all of our lives, we can acknowledge that technology and social media have afforded so many benefits in keeping children, not only children ourselves, connected with friends, able to do some form of schooling, etc. But there are many downsides to it as well, seeing negative posts, seeing inaccurate statements. And for the child undergoing transplant, it could be seeing peers sort of quote unquote living normal lives, styling their hair, doing certain sports, etc. So I think it's all about balance, Peggy. It requires parents having quote unquote good relationships with their children. To talk about some of the social media posts, it's important to communicate with your child, letting them connect with friends, but also to just appreciate what some of the downsides could be. For example, if what they are viewing on social media is getting them down, take a break from it. Talk it out with them constantly. Express love and support and and ask if your child would show you a few posts from friends they liked or, or share something with you they saw online that was funny. You can't tell them not to engage with social media. I mean, that won't work. So you might as well, if you can't beat them, join them. Just be sure they know the difference between what they're seeing and reading and actual reality. I think that even adults have been going through this with the whole social media world during this pandemic and great advice. Absolutely. So let's talk now about the phases that a child may go through in the transplant journey. Again, this is where I like uh, that phrase I talked about at the beginning, intense, episodic, and challenging. This goes for the caregiver as well as the care recipient, the child. In my years of working with families, I've been so incredibly fortunate to watch families grow through this initial grief of why me, uh, loss of the life path that I should have been on, like my peers, to developing new, sometimes even stronger and richer relationships within families, among their friends and other loved ones, expanding and growing positive outlooks on the challenges they have faced and truly gaining resiliency and hope. And in recent years, as I've met with families, interviewed families, you would be amazed, Peggy, at how many family caregivers share the positive aspects of their journey. It's not 100% of the time, but you'd be surprised with how many have expressed and shared this, being able to practice the gratitude and thanksgiving, even in the midst of probably the most difficult journey they have been through, both parent and child. And it's truly amazing how they emerge as these incredibly, incredibly strong beings. Uh, an additional way to look at phases is to look at how Dependency waxes and wanes as children go through phases of treatment, hospitalization, the first 100 days of transplant, eventual return to school, eventually to work, reintegration into society. It's challenging for caregivers to foster age-appropriate autonomy and patient self-care, and then eventually in normalizing their activities and schoolwork and eventually 
getting a job and going into the workforce. And another set of phases are emotional, such as fear and anger, frustration, sadness, uh, acceptance, depression, and how caregivers can help kids, teenagers, even young adults through them is first to make a point of listening to when the child is upset. Tell me what's making you sad. Just saying that blatantly, giving them the opportunity to just talk it out. Uh, Try not to be in a hurry to offer that sort of adult perspective. You might learn something that can help the child more effectively and show the child it's okay to talk about their negative emotions and just doing so, so you can help them feel better. And also invite kids to ask questions. And when they do, answer the questions. If they wonder in darkness, it it can be more scary or more challenging. And doing this can also potentially avoid adding to the child's burden of trying not to upset you as the adult. Uh, Most of my efforts these days clinically are in following patients in our survivorship or long-term follow-up clinic. It's a wonderful clinic. I get to see kids off therapy, in school, at work, developing, forming new relationships. Uh, I've been so fortunate to be invited to school graduations, weddings, all these amazing achievements. And I love getting postcards of their wedding or their firstborn child. It's all exciting. And yes, of course, Many continue to struggle with late effects of therapy, but wow, these are some really incredibly resilient uh, folks and families that I get to come across. Also, not all things are rosy, and there remain some serious challenges. But in the midst of all of these life challenges, they have navigated this journey together. For parents out there caregiving for whether it's child, adolescent, or young adult, I respectfully acknowledge the serious financial, uh, physical, and emotional challenges associated with this responsibility and, and helping them get through the transplant journey. But the love, gratitude, thankfulness, support, communication, as well as respect that you as the caregiver can show the patient, your loved one, is what they need first and foremost. You are parent first and foremost, and naturally you become the advocate and caretaker, caregiver at each clinic visit, at each hospital encounter. You learn new nursing-like skills. I mean, it is incredible watching families, parents learn how to do dressing changes, line flushes, giving IV fluids, administering medications. When it's already difficult to feed a a kid who may be a picky eater a list of medications, the challenges become even much more intense. And so I think surrounding yourself with a community of support, social work services, therapy, psychological support, all of these are wonderful tools of support. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much for all of that. How can parents help their child patients stay connected to other extended close family and friends? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. I think it's natural to want to protect your child, especially when they're compromised with their immune system. Uh, It's natural to want to keep them isolated away from friends and family. Early on, that may be the case, and hopefully friends and family can totally understand the reason. And we're learning, especially during covid that we need to do this for ourselves as well as public safety. And like I said before, uh, technology is our friend and foe, double-edged sword, Uh, but we are fortunate to have it and to leverage it for the positive aspects of community, keeping us connected even when we cannot physically. So keeping kids' interests and activities as the sort of the central focus of interaction. And like you said earlier, Peggy, their illness should not define them. You know, maybe you can watch videos together remotely to have something to share, enjoy together to talk about. Terrific. Great advice. So now with COVID-19, do you have any recent stories that you might want to share regarding a creative way a caregiver has created some connections? Wow, I feel that the whole world is uh, learning or beginning to learn some unique connections that our transplant families have adjusted and adapted to long before this pandemic, given their compromised immune system. Uh, The hospitals are now ramping up telehealth or telemedicine. In fact, recently, I called a patient to do a phone informed consent regarding a prior uh, clinical trial that they were on. Uh, She's about four years out of therapy and no longer on any transplant-related medications. And she was the one who actually brought up that transplant and everything she went through with self-isolation and quarantine to protect her immune system actually, ironically, you know, prepared her well for this pandemic and she was resilient and gained the strength to comply with government mandated guidelines that she's, she finds other people who had not gone through transplant having difficulty with like wearing the mask and helping to avoid transmission of the virus. And so she's been a strength and a pillar of information for her family members, as well as uh, friends during this. And I thought that was just so wonderful of her to be able to self-reflect on her own journey and use that for the current situation. So I think, you know, due to COVID, we're all learning at conferences, webinars that might have been difficult to leave home to attend are now accessible, like CancerCon. There are lots of Facebook groups, uh, Facebook Live events, places like Gilda's Place offers virtual support groups that have been really well attended, likely because pre-COVID folks were less willing to leave home. And nonprofits such as the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link also offer many virtual and recorded programs sure to help caregivers and patients. And you can check them out on their website at mbmtlink.org. Well, thank you so much. Gosh, maybe we should just hit on some financial toxicity issues. That's always such a big one with our patients and their families. Is there anything you want to add regarding that? I think the best advice that I've been able to provide is please do not be afraid to ask for help. I mean, we could have 
been more proactive, um, social work, child life specialists. We want to, you know, reach out to families. How are things? Be honest. When we ask those questions, just be honest, cut to the chase. We don't know what we don't know. And so we are behind on our mortgage, you know, state it up front. There are resources out there and the medical team were trained to put out fires and institutions can provide help with those challenges, but families have to articulate that and let us know. Um, Financial grants, uh, advocates uh, with employers. I think culturally, money uh, bills have different perceptions of how to talk or share about it. So I think the best advice is just don't be afraid to ask for help. Excellent point. And you know, I I know Triage Cancer is a national organization. uh, And their website, it's so well done. And they have answers on all things financial. And I might add too, in the state of Michigan, I know, for example, we have nonprofits like New Day Foundation for Families. They're willing to get behind the family during the difficult time and help pay for the mortgage, help pay the phone bill. So it's important that people work with the social workers and learn locally who those organizations are. I might add too that LLS has funds that are available with no questions asked as far as income. They'll ask a few questions just to you know get your name and your information, but they give out these wonderful grants to all families, even if you're a family that you don't think you qualify, you might be surprised that you do. I'd like to just ask, too, the back-to-school thing. It's everywhere right now. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Tough topic, Peggy. Any thoughts on that? Maybe I'm not going to talk about the actual (laughs) pandemic, um, but just in general for our transplant caregivers and patients, just know that it's not a switch. I mean, just because you are off tacrolimus, you don't need to automatically think, okay, I'm off tacro and now I need to go full-time. Re-entry, the process can be creative. Work if your institution has a school liaison. Work with that individual. You can take baby steps back into school. It truly, truly takes a village to go back. Uh, Involving the parent, the teacher, your physician, the social worker, psychologist, and it should be well planned out. There are credit recovery programs uh, for the middle and high schoolers who I know they just want to be normal and go back to school and maybe start them by going back after breaks, after holiday break. And again, inquire at your institution, work with your social worker if there are back to school liaisons that can help be that liaison between the hospital and your school. In regards to, I'll just say one maybe small thing on the COVID and back to school, as everyone is seeing nationally, even internationally, I think this is a very challenging topic and we're all learning how best to do this and to do it safely. And and then on top of it, if you have had a recent transplant, obviously it makes it a little bit easier in terms of how best to make that decision. But Virtual programs are going online, and it's great to see how schools are coming together to make these wonderful programs for our kids. And so this is all a new journey that we are going through together. Wow, this was tremendous. Thank you so very much for your wisdom, your practicality as a parent, and just 
Fantastic job. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Peggy. And again, just a huge thank you to the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link for the opportunity to speak today. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. Feel free to share this episode via text, email, or social media. To hear more, subscribe for free to Marrow Masters in your favorite podcast app. To learn more about the resources available to both patients and caregivers, check out the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link at nbmtlink.org. That's nbmtlink.org, or just follow the link in our show notes.